It's so good to be back with you after so many years, and I deeply regret that we won't be in Germany to, uh, to benefit from the ministry of Pastor Potter when he comes over to uh, teach us what he has learned and what you exemplify in terms of discipleship. But uh, we are seeing it in three dimensions right before our eyes, and we're thankful about that. Discipleship is very important to us, but I'm not sure that uh, we've gotten it to the level that you folks have by God's grace. Um, we're going to start tonight with the presentation, and um, I think that when that's done, there will be little more to say. Someone asked me if we'll do some Q&A. Uh, we will, but I'll stand in the back and field your questions then, and uh, that will save everyone having to hear questions they're not maybe interested in. Uh, and uh, you know Kevin and Carol Mattia, you support them too. This is, uh, Kevin is my wife's brother, and uh, so we work closely together, but we don't live at Camp Impact. We live two and a half hours away when my wife drives, three hours when I do. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, but we go down there Thursday nights and stay till Saturday nights many weeks, and uh, then minister in our church plant in Magdeburg from Sunday to Thursday. So just that by way of explanation. And my son says, I should tell you, this represents about 25 years of ministry. Not that you think we've done this in the last four years, and besides which, we haven't done it. But uh, it's the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. So let's give him the glory. And if we could have the lights as to the degree it's necessary, we'll go ahead and get started. Good. Here we are. You've already met all of us but the one on the right. That's Dustin. He was a student at Bob Jones last year, but he's now an apprentice in, uh, in Germany. He wants to serve the Lord over there, and so he has made that transition. Now, I'm going to have to turn my back to you. Please don't take offense. <clears throat> okay, uh, if you didn't know where Germany is, it's in the middle of Europe. Once divided between West and East Germany, uh, it, after the war, you had the Western Allies and the Eastern Ally, the Soviet Union, Russia, converging at the Elbe River. And uh, we couldn't get along with the Soviets, nor could they with us, so we divided Germany up into West and East. This border was 866 miles long. Many people think of that as the Berlin Wall. It wasn't, but uh, Berlin was too important for us just to give it all away, so they divided that up too. And uh, then to prevent people from escaping into West Berlin, they put a, a wall all the way around it, and that was the Berlin Wall, which basically fell simultaneously with the border between the Germanies. In 1986, a year after my wife and I married, we had the privilege of going to visit Berlin, and the most direct route is the one we took. But that's not the route that we took back. Instead, to get out of the communist country as soon as we could, we went west. It meant a longer trip back home to Tübingen, but it got us out of this police observance uh, quicker, and uh, that was to our liking. 
In so doing, the Lord led us directly by a city called Magdeburg. And uh, I remember uh, praying for that city and rededicating my life to the Lord for his use. Two prayer requests as we drove by that city. And uh, the Lord answered both of them in one act by putting us there to give the gospel to this city. So the city that we could see from the Autobahn, we now live in, and instead of taking pictures from the outside of the buildings, we actually can take pictures over the, the balcony uh, and uh, in the buildings. Now I should go back one. Uh, when I would travel the Beltline of Chicago with my dad and my brother, dad would say to us, boys, each one of those buildings is a mission field. And that, those words came back to my mind as we went by Magdeburg. And uh, so that's where we live now. We moved up then from Tübingen to Magdeburg. We spent two years in the church plant that my father-in-law began, oh, 55 years ago, and uh, worked in youth and music in Tübingen, but then we moved up to the former east. So Magdeburg is now our mission field. Once called the Rome of the Elbe River for all of its churches, World War II took care of a lot of that and left behind a decimated city. But you know, liberal theology also, and communism, atheism, left behind empty hearts. And so this is, in a, in a very real way, the spiritual condition, not just the physical condition after the war. Now, the Lord allowed us to move to uh, the first village west of Magdeburg. There he enabled us to build a prefab home, and that's where we've been living. It's only 10 minutes from our church. Some people take longer to get across town than we do to drive into town. But uh, I hope that our house is the house with the open door. At least that's our intention. And... Um, our ministry can be divided into three basic uh, compartments, you could say. So when we had a, a baptism recently, these were our three baptismal candidates. We have on the left a refugee. We have in the center the daughter of a man uh, from our church plant. And on the right, we have a young lady who was saved at camp. By the way, I'm going to be a little vague today. Uh, this will be available online, which can, can be dangerous, actually, for some people. So I am going to change the wording a little bit today. Let's dwell on church planting. This should be no problem. Uh, first, we started in our living room and then moved to these facilities. And when they uh, were too full, then God opened up a new place to rent and it's a few blocks away from our original, uh, our original facilities. We are downstairs from a motel, or a hotel, and this is what it looks like inside. Uh, we have a national brother up in front leading the service. Uh, this is at Thanksgiving. That's the way we decorate at Thanksgiving. And another German brother leading the service uh, more recently. And then on December 2nd, right before we came on furlough, this was our Christmas program in the afternoon on First Advent, is what we call it. And we had 80 people, which was somewhat of a record. I think the only time we ever had that many people might have been when the musical mission team from Bob Jones was there. 
So we try to carry on ministries as many churches here in the States would, Sunday school and uh, I'll call it a bus ministry. Actually, it's just bringing in children from the neighborhood, from the public school, uh, and the fellow here is one of those dear children not yet saved. Then uh, these are tomorrow's yeah, leaders, we could say. Uh, we have youth group on a small uh, level. Ladies' meetings, the lady with her thumb up, uh, went downhill quite quickly in the last year and a half. And just before Chris and I and our family came on furlough, we dropped in at the nursing home where she is, and she was saved, and we're just so thankful. She'd had some real issues because of drug use under East German. Uh, it was performance-enhancing drugs. And the Lord overturned that and allowed her to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Men's meeting, which recently doubled as uh, preacher's instruction, because, uh, by the way, the reason we haven't been here every four or five years is because we really didn't have uh, preachers to draw upon. We didn't feel we could leave the ministry yet. And now, of course, our confidence is in the Lord, but these German brothers are holding down, I'd say, 85% of the preaching responsibility while we're gone. And a fourth brother, Kai. Uh, dear brother in the Lord, uh, farmer, and uh, years ago... I gave his father some literature, and the father had no time or use for it. But Kai went in and retrieved the books, the New Testament, and a companion volume, and began to work through these. And the Lord brought him to faith. And now he has a wonderful testimony. And every few years, he'll invite the townspeople for Thanksgiving to his farm. And we'll have a meal and refreshments, but also we'll have testimonies. And uh, unsaved and saved people get together, and it's a real good outreach. And there's Kai himself uh, giving the Lord the glory for the, for the harvest here in his barn. Now, some of the people can't uh, stay for that. They, they have to go out and get some fresh air, but, uh, but it's a testimony nonetheless. Here he is. <laughs> so we thank the Lord. This is the Lord's doing here he leads a service once every month in our service uh, in our church. In the spring, we had a banquet, uh, an outreach. Fifty percent of the people were visitors, and fifty percent of those were unsaved. And uh, we're so thankful. I'll point one out uh, to you: a dear lady who attended the banquet and has, in the meantime, been saved. I'll tell you about her in just a minute. When a Christian book table comes to town, then we man it with them together, and our people are getting in, involved in that. And God allowed us from the very beginning to get into a nursing home when it opened up in our town. We've been doing that since the year 2000, I think. And once a month, giving the gospel, and we've seen, by God's grace, many people, well, a good many people, let's put it at that, uh, come to know the Lord as their Savior. And it also gives our own people an opportunity to reach out and to minister, which is actually our goal. I want to tell you a story about this dear lady, uh, Gisela. Once upon a time, she was Germany's oldest DJ, and uh, she would come to the hotel above our church on the first Sunday of every month, 
and they would have dancing in the afternoon up there. Uh, one day, after we had gotten to know each other quite well, as she walked in, I noticed she wasn't her normal happy self. Come to find out, her son had slipped on the ice, fallen on a small picket fence, impaled himself, and was lying in a coma, and he did then die a few days later. So I took Gisela out to eat. She was probably 40 years my senior, and uh, with my wife's permission. And uh, she said to me, whatever she called me, let's say Brad, uh, I think I know why God took my son. Would you believe after all those decades, she was still plagued in her conscience by a sin she'd committed in her young adulthood? And uh, without being specific, I said to her, but God would forgive you of that. He said, do you think he would? I said, I know he would. And some weeks later then, she accepted Christ as her Savior, and then one day she had to be admitted to a nursing home, and the last years of her life, she was a real testimony there in the, in the nursing home, and I had the joy of being the person who officiated at her funeral for her unsaved family. So we praise God. Now I want to tell you one little story that I left out, and that is, years ago when the Allies came and bombed Magdeburg and dropped all those hideous bombs on our city, Gisela was spending uh, an evening in a tavern somewhere, dancing, and when the sirens went off, she ran quickly, and then, oh no, I forgot my sweater. Her mother had knitted a sweater for her, so she returned to the locality to get to retrieve her sweater, and when she got to the bunker, to the, to the bomb shelter, the doors were already closed and she could not get in. That night, everyone in the bomb shelter died of asphyxiation, and Gisela survived, and God preserved her life so that he could become her child. We praise the Lord. Just some people from the church, an elder in our church here in the lower left, Alexander, and then a young couple, their medical students up in the upper part of the picture, and then newlyweds in the lower right, and I won't tell very much about them. We're thankful, of course, for families and couples, but also for, let's say, uh, ladies who attend alone. Some of them are widows, like the lady down in the lower left. Years ago, a Russian army truck crossed the center line and crashed head-on into her uh, vehicle. She was the only survival in that, survivor in that car. Her dad, I mean, I'm sorry, her husband had a Bible. She didn't even know that. And when she recovered, she began reading the Bible, and the Lord saved her. And then this other lady up above, uh, make sure I'm pointing, yes, uh, was saved through the witness in the Internet and then came to our church. So we haven't led all of these people to the Lord, but we've engaged in discipleship with those whom the Lord uh, led our way. Whenever there's a fifth Sunday of a, of a month, uh, we stick around for dinner on the grounds and uh, go over to a local uh, park and just enjoy things together. I'm sure your church does too. It seems that way from what we've observed. So we get together for picnics, and that gives us also an opportunity for outreach. Uh, and here uh, we also go to, to Camp Impact, 
uh, in the fall, cut firewood, rake leaves, and just have a wonderful time of fellowship together, ministering together, serving the Lord with gladness. Now, before we go to the second part, I just want to say that God has given us some ministry in music, and you would think that the country that produced the likes of Bach and Handel uh, would uh, have no real need for additional music, but uh, the Lord has given us the opportunity to serve him and other churches through music, sometimes in Christian schools, or a Christian school, I should say, for instance, in Heidelberg, or with Michael Moore, uh, he's the conductor there, not the one you might have been thinking of. Uh, we've produced some choral albums with him over the years. Just some samples of that, visual samples. And we've also been able to produce uh, a camp songbook with 250 songs. About 40 of those have been translated by my wife and me. And the Germans seem to really appreciate those songs. Uh, those are songs you probably would recognize. And Krisha has about a dozen piano students, and while we're gone, some of her piano students are now the ones who are carrying the responsibility on the piano. All right, now to the camp ministry. You won't find the camp as we understand it nowadays in the Bible, uh, but we hope that we are... Uh, contributing to local church ministries through evangelization, discipleship, and leadership training. We're building on the ministry of others. My wife's father, as I said, was a church planter. He also did camps back in the 60s and 70s. Here you have a couple of pictures showing that. But 20 years ago, some Germans and Americans got together and formed an organization called IMPACT. And uh, then, 10 years later, God allowed us to purchase a facility in central Germany. This was the auction at which we bid. The auctioneer was saying, oh, this is a wonderful place. It's worth 500,000 street value. Minimum bid, 32,000. We have a first bid from us. And uh, no one bid against us. So we got it for 32,000. Like I said, central Germany, also accessible from Austria and Switzerland, which also speak German. And we have 31 acres of beautiful, beautiful campground, and uh, far enough away from people that we don't disturb them when we make a lot of noise. Once a camp, always a camp. Well, uh, back under communism, it was also a camp, a camp for indoctrinating young people in Marxist doctrine. Then when the two Germanys converged, uh, the refugees were coming up from the Balkans, and it was uh, a refugee camp. And so they had as many as 600 refugees waiting to be processed, seeking asylum. And then after six years of it just lying there, going to, to waste, uh, the Lord gave it to us, and now we're preaching and teaching the Word of God uh, and we're so thankful for what the Lord has done. Selfishness or selflessness. One of our emphases, whoops, we're striving not to just build buildings, but to build people. 
But uh, when we got there, it was quite a mess, I must say. And I, I have to uh, find another picture. My wife says we have plenty of them. I can't show you what it looks like now, but it's a whole lot different, I can assure you. Faith moves mountains, and faith has leveled a hill for us. What's a, what's a Christian camp in Germany without a soccer field? We had a hill with lots of trees, and the, the long story short is that God sent the right personnel, enough money, and the right equipment, and uh, this hill was reduced by 30 feet here and spread out so that we now have an official soccer field, 50 by 100, and we're so thankful. Now, this is my ministry. I just had to put that in there. Uh, I've been in charge of archery for a couple of decades, and we want the Word of God to get in the hearts of the young people. That bears fruit, even after they're not teenagers anymore. Also thankful that this has given us an opportunity as a family to minister together with our own children here, Donovan, Dustin, Danica, just uh, as examples. And it has also given our disciples opportunity for further ministry. Here's Christian. I met him two weeks after he was saved, spent two years discipling him on Thursday evenings at the university, and then he went to BJ for a year, and now he's back. He's also been ordained as an elder in our church and is serving in a church an hour south of us and is uh, directing junior camp one of the weeks each summer. Here he's leading a young man from Hamburg to the Lord after an evening service. One-on-one, -on -one. very, very important, God and I time. Getting the Germans involved in their own music. Teen camps, we have three of them ten days long. Junior camps, we have two that are six days long. Then we have other youth weeks, uh, intensive Bible study. Music camp, there's Ed Ray, in case you know him. Uh, but we're trying as much as we can to use the nationals. Philipp is a national, a very competent musician with good high music standards. Just before we came over on furlough, we had a young adults camp studying the spiritual gifts, two sermons a day. And then what might be even more important was uh, anywhere from 60 to 90 minutes every day in small groups digging out the scripture's truth for themselves. Here was the group. Now, isn't that a beautiful building in the background? Well, we can only really have camps when the weather allows us to stay in tents. Uh, not in tents, but in tents. Uh, and, um, but we are working this and next year on getting that building winterized so that we can have a year-round program. Camp Impact, we appreciate your prayers for that. Um, between Christmas and New Year's, they had a ski camp over there. One of the boys uh, broke his back in two places. God spared his life. He's not crippled or maimed, but he has a hard heart. So I'll uh, not mention his name. In fact, I don't even know it. So, But pray for him. And another fellow that had had a, a hard heart got saved the very next day at that camp. So it's wonderful to see how the Lord works. And now in closing, refugee work. Now anybody who has been watching our or following our 
prayer letters recently would be informed about this. About three years ago, refugees started pouring across Europe by the hundreds of thousands. And I'm going to have to be uh, judicious here, and I really pray that this will not become a snare, uh, because in these cultures, uh, the people can be in mortal danger. Uh, we don't want to make it hard for them, so... But God has said, go ye therefore and teach all nations. And uh, could you go to North Korea? Could you go to Afghanistan? What about Iraq? Perhaps someone could on business or, or in some way, tourists. But do you know what the Lord has done? This uh, list that was released just two weeks ago. These are the people that God has brought to Magdeburg. And I want to tell you a little bit about that. And we'll focus on these groups, okay? Afghans, Iranians, Palestinians, and Syrians, uh, North Africans, and Indians. As we heard that the refugees were going to be coming to our city, I began to walk around where the, the camps were and to pray and ask the Lord to use us, to use me specifically, in the refugee work. What God did was... He allowed me to become a, a German teacher, to teach German to the refugees. Now, some of them are literate, and some are illiterate, and the, the class got to be too large, so I split that and gave uh, the literate ones to a German lady and kept the illiterate ones for myself. And this went on for about two years of teaching these uh, young people, mostly men, from all those countries. We had them in our home, served them meals, uh, played ping pong with them, uh, just tried to show them uh, that Christians are not to be feared. And I'm thankful, I want to say this, I'm so thankful that God has allowed us through the refugee ministry to have much more contact with German nationals, with other teachers with people who have open hearts. They may be communist in their persuasion or, or really divergent from us politically, but they have the milk of human kindness in their veins, the, the common grace of God. And uh, this is the lady I told you about who came to our banquet, and uh, she came to know the Lord. And do you know who led her to the Lord? No, it wasn't I. A refugee who got saved when he got to Germany led her to the Lord. This is a wonderful way, and we're thankful for the way God works. He gets the glory. I've been a frequent guest of the refugees. Here's a Christian man who invited Germans and Afghanis and another German and an American and asked me to pray for the meal and uh, just a further witnessing opportunity. My involvement has also spread out into the church. Now the men of our church and, and women of our church are getting involved with the refugees, helping them in practical ways, but what could be more practical than spiritual ways. And the fellow in the middle is a born Muslim who converted to Christianity in India, was persecuted there, came to Germany, and now I've been able to disciple him for the last two and a half years. And he has become a, a low-key 
uh, let's say soft-spoken, a soft-spoken but outspoken witness to the Indians. Oops. I'll speed this up just a little bit, not explain every last story. This is a dark picture, and I don't think it will be a problem. We met a man there. He was at, at, at a church picnic. He was over under a tree, looking lonely and dejected. I took an apple and another dessert over to him and found out I couldn't speak to him, nor he to me. So we got out our phones, cell phones, Google Translator, and uh, found the languages and typed in words to each other, and I found out that his family was in another country, and he was not sure whether he would be able to see his family again. Well, by God's grace, the family has now been reunited with him, and we have regular contact with him in an evangelistic way. I'll just leave it at that. But we've been in invited into their home for special occasions. The Word of God, that is so vital. And by uh, the gifts of God's people here in the States and in other places, we've been able to get quite a collection of God's Word in many, in many languages. Now, a Muslim takes offense if we mark our Bibles, if we write in them or underline any verses in our Bible. You don't do that to a holy book. So... We can't, and, and I can't always tell the difference between the languages. So, what we do is we put the scriptures into Ziploc bags, freezer bags, and mark on the freezer bags. And then we have them alphabetically from A to Z and uh, carry them around with us. Not always, I should say, to be accurate. Uh, but we have the scriptures available and can get them to them within hours or a day. And here is a wealth of scriptures in the languages that we saw before. And we've given many, I would say hundreds, of scriptures, not just tracts, but whole Bibles, New Testaments, and Gospels to people in many languages. Just take a look at it, and I'm going to speed on. Okay. I was invited to a supper with a, a room full of men. And the mother of one of the men was in the other country dying. They asked me if I would pray for the mother. Well, I, I said to the men, I want to explain something. I am going to be praying in Jesus' name. And I explained that as sinful people, we don't have access to a holy God except that we come through our sinless substitute and Jesus is sinless. And they could agree with that because the, even the scriptures they know say that Jesus had no sin. And so I prayed with them and yes, the woman did die. But uh, that evening, although the, the prayer itself didn't result in her being restored in her health, this was a key starting point. I have contact with almost all of the men that were in that room that night. Some of them are still unsaved. One of the men, and I won't say which, went back to his country, accepted the Lord, his family got saved, 
They started to have a Bible study in their home. The authorities came, took him off to jail, and for 24 hours they interrogated him, whatever that means, and told him, if you do that again, it's 15 years. So he took his family to another country. And we have contact. I send him a devotional in his language every, almost every day, as well as to 18 other people. So uh, now this is a fine young man, no longer living in Germany, but I had the joy of accompanying him for about two to three months, telling him, teaching him the Bible. And he has a blog and has led dozens of his uh, Persian people to the Lord through the internet and his witness there. Here was when we were eating the food, but it looked similar when we had the Bible spread all over the table. Sometimes we'll show a video uh, course to the people. 13 lessons and introduction to Christianity. Here's a man who attends our church. We sit cross-legged. I tell you, I don't enjoy that, but we sit cross-legged on the floor of his uh, apartment, or his room, I should say, and have studied the Bible together. And if you want to see a close-up picture, take a look at the roll-ups in the, in the lobby. He marks his Bible. Now, he does that because he's saved now. He marks his Bible. He writes out all of the Scripture verses longhand and uh, writes copious notes, answers all of the uh, questions, and it's just a real joy to have ministered to him over time. This is the man who supplies me with uh, uh, devotions in Persian language. Now, I don't think this man will mind my showing you his face. Uh, I'll just call him M, okay? Uh, M had broken his back in his homeland and broken it again in Germany. And the, the German doctor thought he was just looking for an excuse to stay in Germany and didn't treat him, and he walked over a mile to the hospital. The doctors were incensed. But anyway, uh, this is the fellow whose mother passed away, for whom I prayed. God allowed me to be kind to him. And he said, if I ever do go to a Christian church, it will be Brad's. And so he started coming. He was still unsaved. Well, a judge was putting him under pressure. If, if you want to stay in Germany, then it would be easier if you're a Christian. If you're still a Muslim, we can send you back to your home. Well, he didn't want to just pretend. He, he knew God would not honor that. But he thought, I need more time. Well, I said, I want to tell you a story about a person who didn't have much time. And I told him about the thief on the cross who recognized his own sinfulness, but the innocence of the one who would be entering into his kingdom and appealed to him, remember me when thou enterest into thy kingdom. And that one on the cross was the Lord Jesus who said to the thief, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And then I handed him on my cell phone Romans 10, 9 to 13, in his language, and uh, he went to the window. I should go ahead and proceed here. Went to this window. Now he's feeding a duck here that comes knocking. But he went to this window and looked out the window for minutes on end, thinking about those verses, turned around, sat down, said, okay. 
And the next day, he gave clear, radiant testimony to the judge. The judge didn't believe a person can become a Christian in a day, but he really had. And so on our way home, we stopped by George Mueller's birth house, Bachstrasse 8 in uh, Kroppenstedt, and uh, introduced him to uh, one of our heroes of the faith, Georg Müller. Müller, sorry. All right, quickly about the Indians. Now, they're not technically refugees. They'd like to think they are, but they're just looking for financial opportunities. Who can blame them? But uh, the Gujarati people are the ones that we've had the most contact with and uh, have given them the scriptures. Here you see a Bible that was uh, donated from a lady in the States. And they've introduced us, I mean, I'm sorry, they've invited us into their home. We, they, to us. And uh, to these men in these two pictures receive the word of God in the Gujarati language every day. I, I go to the, script, uh, to the uh, cell phone and find the next passage progressively, put it in their language, send it to them. And if I don't do that, they'll remind me. So they're getting closer. We had them to our house at Christmas time, and uh, I used the Abeka flasher cards uh, to explain to them the Christmas story. And one of the ladies said, so that's why you say Merry Christmas, because Jesus' mother was, uh-huh, dear lady, a dear lady. But this is, you know, they don't know, and that's what we're there for, okay? And they are the only group that we went through all 13 lessons of an introduction to Christianity with. I'm going to just click through these. These are my dear friends. I'll say that publicly. In our home, in their homes. Making cookies. Attending their big events. Double dating, inviting them to our family occasions. I really can't go into a lot of detail, but let me tell you a story I haven't told in any other church. I had just uh, taught German, and the question, the, the, the refugee home was next to the school. And I went to my car, and I knew that there were people up in that refugee home that needed the, the Lord. I was afraid, I must admit. I didn't know if I should go into those dark stairways. I didn't know. But the Lord really impressed me, you better go. If you don't do it now, you'll never do it. So that night, God gave me the grace to go ahead and go up, and that was the night that I met the Syrians. And the people I met that night, I still know. And uh, they've been in our home and I've been at uh, their bachelor party or whatever they had. And um, I'm thankful that God helped a frady cat that I was to go ahead and minister to these people. They're as nice as can be, really. I want to encourage you. I just want to encourage you. Don't be afraid of them. They're really, really dear people, and they need the Lord. And I'm going to leave it at that. Sadly enough, 
In many places in the world, the Africans tend to be the low, low man on the totem pole. I can't speak French. And they are often uneducated. Many of them are illiterate. And so they're of really little use. They're much of a nuisance to Germany. But they have precious souls. And so we're ministering to them too and don't want to neglect them. And I'll tell you a story here. I see that I'm down to about one or two minutes. This fellow, the guard at the refugee home, was always suspicious of me. And he didn't want to let me in, but I mean, he had to, and, I, and he made it a little difficult for me. One day I noticed that the foosball table uh, was falling apart. And I'm not much of a handyman, I, I promise you I'm not. But uh, the Lord gave me an idea, and I remembered there was one of these tension belts out in the car. So I went and got it, and what do you know, cranked that a few times, and the table pulled together. Before you know it, the refugees and I and the guard were playing foosball together. And after that, he never made me sign in or give my personal ID or anything. I was, a wel I was welcome to come and go as I wanted. And I'm just thankful to God for the way that he opens hearts. Of course, behind every fa face is a story. And I can't take the time for that. But I will tell you about this man. I don't even know his name, and I don't know where he is. I think he's gone out of the country now. But in the background, you see the school where I taught. And I saw this fellow, and I said, uh, where do you come from? He told me, and so I looked under Bible.is, I-S for Israel, I think, Bible.is. So I found his country. I said, whoa, there's a lot of languages in your country. Which language do you speak? He told me, so I typed in his language. Before you knew it, per satellite, I mean via satellite, press play. He was reading and listening to John 3.16 in his mother tongue right there. Use technology, but use it for God's glory. Use it for good, not bad. Dear people, here's a man who would like to lead me to Islam. A dear man, a very dear man. Pray for people like him. It's my heart's desire that God will give key people in each people group to win their own people to Christ. And now one last story. My friend... My friend, I won't say his name, uh, still unsaved. I tried for some years to lead him to the Lord. So far, he's still closed. I thought, well, I'll give him some cassettes. I had some old cassettes with sermons from Chinese scientists who have become Christians. So I gave him quite a few of those. He, he wasn't really interested. But he didn't want to throw it away either because he considered me a friend, and, I cons and we are friends. So instead, what he did was he gave it to another college student at the university, a Chinese man who was living out of wedlock with a, a, a lady, a girl from China. And they started listening to the cassettes, and the Lord saved them. So then they got married, and then they, now this is representative. It's not the actual Bible study, but that man and that woman are still in Magdeburg, and every week they have 25 people attending a Chinese Bible study. Let the Lord use you. 
It doesn't have to, it doesn't require much. It just requires willingness. It requires feet that are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. All right? Now, our, our area is stubborn. Our soil is stubborn. And here's a man we know who helped, helped out at Kai's farm. I've got to make sure. Yes, there he is. And now he's suffering from leukemia. And uh, just pray for this man. I also won't mention his name. Uh, but the soil is hard, but if you'll work it long enough, by God's grace, it will be fruitful. And so, I want to share one verse with you, and then we'll close. Okay? And I'd like to direct your attention to Ephesians 3.8. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. The Apostle Paul says, Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints. What is your opinion of yourself? Would you, like a friend said to me today, uh, rival Paul for that less than the least of all saints? Well, the Holy Spirit said who the less than the least was. But maybe we're the least, and he's less than the least. But oftentimes we have too high of an opinion of ourselves. The Word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Why do we do the good things we do? When we start to examine our motives in the light of God's Holy Spirit and His Scripture, we would have to say we're a close second. Now, then let's take a look at the ministry. Paul said in verse 8, is this grace given that I should preach? Grace. What is your opinion of your ministry? You know, we often have too high of an opinion of ourselves, but do we have too low of an opinion of the ministry? It's a great grace, a privilege, to serve the King of Kings. I don't know what you do. Maybe you clean babies' bottoms in the nursery. Uh, not that that's the absolute worst, but um, you might not think of that as a very high calling or a very high service. But whom are you serving? Are you serving the Lord Jesus so that this baby's mommy and daddy can get exposed to the Word of God? What is it that you do? That is no mean service. I'm talking about a low serv lowly service. You are serving King of kings, like the Queen of Sheba said, how blessed are your servants. How blessed we are to have this grace to be able to serve God. And then, what is your opinion of the message? Paul calls it the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, many of these people come to Germany, and the ones that are coming across our southern border, a lot of them are coming because they're wanting riches of a different sort. But those are riches that will soon fade away. But we are proclaiming the unsearchable riches of Christ, eternal riches. And we need to be careful that our opinion of our message is not too low. It's the greatest message in the universe. So let's 
by God's grace, stop having such a high opinion of ourselves, and I speak of, us, of myself, let's stop having such a high opinion of ourselves and re recognize our lowly position. Less than the least of all saints, Paul said. But it's a grace. The ministry is grace. And the message is riches. I hope that this one verse you'll take with you and uh, weave it into the fabric of your life. It will strengthen you, it will encourage you, and I think it will motivate you to have the right perspective of why God has left you here. When I met Kai, I had just gotten, uh, I had just had a serious car wreck a few weeks before. So I showed this farmer pictures of the wreck, and he said, oh, you are lucky. And I said, no, God had something for me to do. God has something for you to do, or you wouldn't be here. So let's recognize God's grace, and let's get busy for him, and let's give him all the glory. Um, folks, you, you've, you've got to know this. We're just normal people, but we have a wonderful God. And we're just so thrilled that God has answered our prayers and given us the opportunity to give the good news, the eternal, the, the, the unsearchable riches of Christ to the Gentiles. I'd love to give it to the Jewish people too, but right now it's the nations. And I'm okay with that. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, woe to us if we steal from your glory. Well, woe to us if we don't give you the glory. And so we just want to just say thank you so much that you have allowed us to participate in taking the good news to the nations. And thank you for this church, which has so faithfully over the years uh, taken an active role or part in our being able to be there and we pray that you will bless this work. And thank you for all the people who are out there having discipleship right now. And all the children, we just praise you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.